Welcome back to A Different Life Story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day. And I got up early this morning to interview Amy Österreicher. And she has been on my radar for such a long time because she is really, once I read her book, it was clear she is one of my heroes. She is a true survivor in the in a in a medical sense in an in a powerful emotional spiritual sense and i'm truly humbled to be with you here on my show and explore your story and find out how the hell you are smiling and how your journey was because we can all learn so much from you so amy welcome welcome to my show well, thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. And in the in the preamble, we just discussed that you have been singing a lot and that your voice might be getting a bit croaky today. And that is that is just life. That is just when we go all nuts in our passion. That's the best reason to be sore on a throat and having a bit of a, a frog. <laughs> Amy, so singing has always been you, isn't it? I, yeah. I read you. Uh, I need to say, Amy wrote the most beautiful book, uh, The Beautiful Detour. You might as well show it now. Go on, show us your beautiful, beautiful book. The Beautiful Detour is a fantastic book by Amy Oestreicher, and I do strongly recommend it Thank to you. everyone out there. And the audio book just came out. Oh, excellent. Oh, congratulations. Well mm -hmm. done. So no, it is there, there's no excuse for you to 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 see this, to to hear or read this story of survival, uh, which is wow. And normally when I when I have guests on and story of survivals, survival is often something that is measured in either milliseconds. Um, that you are somehow able to get out of the, the path of danger or when the danger hits you, or maybe in hours, or maybe sometimes even in days. With Amy, we're talking years and years of survival. And that makes you outstanding because here she is, she's smiling. She's smiling. She literally has gone through hell and kept going. On the contrary, reinvented herself several times over. And that is so cool. So that's what we need to talk about. But I've got the, I've got the advantage. I've read the book. <laughs> so Amy, we need to start with you. We need to start over, not just at that Passover, uh, but we need to start actually when you're a younger girl, when you were full of beans, dreams, and wanted to get going. You were, you were always into your art, uh, weren't you? So tell us a bit about that. Well, my art growing up was musical theater. I mean, I was so driven to do that. Um, that was my world. You know, I I was auditioning and acting in plays before I even knew anything else existed. And I was going to go to college for musical theater. And, um, and yeah, you know, I saw one straight path ahead of me um, because of this beautiful detour, which didn't seem so beautiful at that time. It was more like a million surgical disasters. Um, it pointed me in the so many different directions of creativity where now I discovered, you know, visual art and 
composing songs and dance. And I'm actually right now getting my master's in puppetry arts, which is really uh. fun. Um, I love it. I feel like I found my creative home because it's a wonderful way to combine the theater and the art and the music and the making and all that. But but yeah, um, creativity has always been my way um, to get through and then to thrive and to find presence um, in the face of trauma and um, to find myself again. And that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Ultimately, though, we have got here the story of a, of a beautiful young woman who has got her, her life all planned out in her head. I'm sure Broadway was already very early on, on, the, on the cards there. Hey, move aside, I'm coming kind of a thing. Because that's what you need to be. You need to be competitive. You need to be driven. You need to be focused. There was a pure laser sharp focus in your head. And you actually had a private coach. You actually had someone who was coaching you. Tell, tell us a bit about, about your coach. Yeah, so, well, um, I, he, was a, he was a big deal, a vocal coach in New York. And I was so excited to be studying with him because he was coaching all the big Broadway stars and celebrities. And, mm. you know, I really... Um, and more than that, once you know, we started studying seriously together, I realized, you know, growing up, I had always had this love of nature and trees and things like that. And he recognized that in me as well when um, none of my friends really got that. Um, so he really became my mentor. And so I really looked up to him for more than just theater as someone who could share that interest with me. And then... I started studying with him when I was 15. And then when I was 17, you know, completely in shock, obviously, when he started sexually abusing me for nearly a year. So I, I froze completely. I went completely out of body and just felt very, very numb um, for through my junior to senior year um, until the it got to the point where I just couldn't physically take it anymore. There was so much anxiety that I thought I was crazy. I, I, it's so interesting looking back that I couldn't put the two things together until finally, you know, the April of my senior year, I finally just told my mom. Um, and then two weeks after that, after we decided, okay, you know, we're going to get therapy and we're going to do all these things. We're going to heal and, and celebrate him out of our lives and have a big Passover Seder. You know, that's when I had a big stomach ache that was just not going away. And then, you know, my dad just didn't like that I was still in pain after like two days. I was rushed to the emergency room. And then, you know, that's when my world changed forever um, because when the surgeons cut into me, you know, my stomach just burst to the top of the operating room because there was so much pressure. You know, I had gone sepsis, and um, if I had gotten there like a minute later, the internal fluid would have gone to all my organs and I would have died. But really, um, surgeons worked through the night and nurses there to save my life. Um, but I woke up 
many months later from a coma wondering like, all right, I was just accepted to college. Like, what's going on? Like, where am I? And yeah, I was, it was definitely like waking up in the twilight zone. And having read your book and then having communication with you, you finally gave me a clue to what was going on because initially I thought medically bursting guts, what the hell? Uh, that is, what the hell are we talking about here? And we finally figured it out. It was a mesenteric vein thrombosis. Mm -hmm. It was, in a nutshell, every part of your gut needs blood flow. So it needs blood to come in through an artery and blood mm -hmm. to come back out through a vein. So if you now manage somehow to, to, to close off that vein, then blood gets engorged in the in the walls of the, the gut uh, to start with. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the pain is atrocious because ultimately your, your gut is starved of, of oxygen. Uh, therefore, you're, you're, it, it says, hey, oi, that hurts. Come on, come on, do something about it. And then finally you came into the theater where essentially they found a hell of a lot of dead tissue that got in your tummy that they were forced to cut out and to bypass. And, and that left you with a scenario that under many circumstances is not survivable. And you actually were left with a few centimeters of gut and they were uncertain if those few centimeters would actually heal up. Right. So that is therefore no surprise. You were sick as a dog, you were on death's door. So that's truly, there's, there's no exaggeration there. That's probably an understatement. And uh, so, but- Actually, I was in a coma, so I like, I missed all that part. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you in a coma? Um, for um, many months. That's all I know at this point. I should hmm. know by, by <laughs> now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because that's your brain. Your brain is dealing, dealing with that and is pushing it all to the side. Uh, because you always then, well, fast forward a bit, you, you were able to suddenly make sense of that. And, but we'll go to your, to your initial coping mechanisms, etc. But so the, the sheer fact that for many months you can't remember anything um, is actually telling us already a lot about the severity of your problem. So you were literally in an existential crisis and that is not philosophically, this is life or death here that we are talking about. Yeah. And, and here, here are your parents your parents, your mom and dad, they had just, they had, yeah, that's why they had just sort of come to terms with the, the fact that you had been abused. Probably the, one of the worst things that a dad can hear um, about his daughter. And then suddenly two weeks later, everyone comes together for a beautiful celebration, Passover. Um, you guys were there all there fine. And suddenly the tummy pain starts. And everyone thinks, yeah, it's okay. She's got a fart a bit wrong way around and, and that will go away. And then it didn't go away. Have yeah. you, uh, you touch upon your, your parents and you speak of them really in a lovely way in your book, but um, you must have had by now many discussions with them. 
did how did it feel for your dad? How did it feel for your mom? When they didn't know if I was going to make it through the night. Not just that, not just that. It was suddenly, yes, and that is the that is for them life and death. That's easy. You're there 24 hours, bang. The first 24 hours are easy. You live in coffee and, and some rubbish that you eat and you're basically awake. But then at some stage... The, the abuse, you mean? Hey, say that again. Finding out about the abuse. Mm, well, the abuse and then to have a daughter who yeah. they think, damn, will she make it? Where did your parents get the strength from in those first few days? I think we have a very strong family. I and mean, we had we had a lot of support. Um, you know, we had neighbors like bring, or not we, I was in the coma, but you know, they had neighbors like visit them all the time in the hospital, bring them food. Um, you know, um, we, they had the support of my three brothers. Um, you know, they all really, listen, I don't know how I would deal um, at a time like that. But um, one thing my mom always brings up is um, right before this, we went to the Berkshires and um, we were in this diner and there was this psychic there. And like, oh, mom, it's fun. Let's just go. And she was never into psychics or anything like that. Now she is. But, um, but the psychic took me and she's like, you know what? Um, I have this feeling that you are going to go through a very hard time. And this is when I was 15. It was like, what are you talking about? Um, and you are going to graduate college uh, much later than your friends. Um, and it's going to be a very hard time. But I feel like I need to give you this. And so she gave me this like quartz stone. Um, and she said, just hold this because you'll need it. And my mom always says, like, the only reason she was semi-calm or any somewhat calm during that whole time is because she had you know, those psychic's words in her head during this and that stone, which we still have. It's funny, you know, you take what, um, you know, whatever hope you can find at that time. Mm. And... It's so beautiful to hold on to something, to hold uh, in, in many, many addicts, they have got coins. And it was uh, it, uh, very early that this kind of tradition started, I think more so in the United States, where where addicts get a, a certain coin. And as a sign that they are started to seek help, that they're with the AA, something to hold on to. And uh, certainly a friend of mine whose father had been in the AA, he has got the coin and you see it worn off. Literally the side of it, uh, the, the front face of it is worn off of, of million times touching with sweat and and yeah so it is it's little things like that which can mean so much those symbols you know really get you through anything i i really believe that mm. And there's nothing wrong. You don't have to be, uh, even if you're religious, it doesn't matter which religion you have. Sometimes a little a little talisman uh, can just mean so much, isn't it? Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But, but we are fast forwarding here and jumping back and it's a bit confusing. Um, but it's really your story. If we were to go chronologically through it, we are now coming to years of suffering at the time 
when yeah. you are a young girl, when you just just break through from these shackles of abuse, when you're just ready to heal, and then gods are there, they say, nah, nah, she's just getting better. Nah, can't have that, can't have that. And here you are, and it's so beautiful how you describe it in your book, the, the, your emotions and the, the turmoil that was in you at that time. But you were, you were destined to, to do more. So tell us about your initial coping mechanisms, because you became a bouncy ball, didn't you? You became... <laughs> I did. Well, you know, listen, I, I learned that the best way to get through this is to be numb. I mean, that was what I first learned from the abuse, and that was really how I did get through this new medical identity. Mm. You know, waking up in, like, tubes and bags, and then being told I wouldn't be able to eat or drink again, ever. Um, so, like, how do you get through? So my way... Um, originally started when I was abused that I didn't even plan, but I'd always taken nature walks to connect with my trees, who were like my best friends at that time. And right after the abuse, I took a nature walk outside and I couldn't find that like magic connection anymore, like that flow and magic that I felt in the air. And instead everything just felt very cold and dead. And all I could focus on was like the rhythm of my feet and everything just became very mechanical. Like it felt like a robot and I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, and so that really just became my coping, just like mechanical, like movement, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, which like when I couldn't eat or drink out of the hospital, just became my way to just get my mind off of food all day and just to stay isolated all day. Because, you know, I go out in the outside world, I see someone like chugging a water bottle and I'm gonna have like a nervous breakdown. Mm. So I had to keep like my mind just like mm. very rigidly on track. Mm. And like any kind of feeling I had to avoid like the plague. Mm. Um, because that, you know, feelings bring up emotion, which brings up hunger, which brings up, you know, feeling human. So I had to just like deaden myself yeah. on the inside, like whatever that took. Yeah. And I mean, the fear or the, the, it was not just a matter of trauma has occurred and now I'm either healing or not healing on an emotional sense. For you has trauma has occurred and there's an ongoing threat to life because yes, viewers, listeners, yeah. you heard that's right. You heard right. You heard right. She will never eat or drink again in her life. You must have thought, what? And you're in the, again, you became kind of a guinea pig to your very talented surgical team because they somehow made sure that you survive. So you have got, it was all that the medical side of it was atrocious because you were initially 24 hours a day hooked up to tubes that brought nutrition into your veins. You were hooked up to literally to a, to a little 
uh, stoma, it's called a little bag that you had out here um, to stop the saliva or anything going down into your stomach or into what is left of your gut there. So it was not just that, it not just the initial trauma, but uh, these lines, how you get the, the food into the bloodstream, they can get infected. So there's the risk of, of uh, basically ongoing of sepsis uh, every day. There is There are so many other risks. I mean, you had thrombosed your gut once, uh, and it's now all a precarious situation down there. Will there be new holes? Will there be new fistulas coming out? Will there be new strokes of the gut? So this was an ongoing threat to your life. Ongoing. Mm. So, well, which is why, honestly, um, a lot of people can relate right now during the pandemic, where there is like people saying, like, "Oh my God, when is this going to end already?" Which I find like my book is more relevant uh, than ever um, because, um, again, we're in. I mean, you can compare, you know. They're not necessarily the same, but it's still the same idea of being left with this unknown period of time and wondering when or if things will get better. And yeah. so in my book, I talk about these skills to resilience I eventually learned that I find can be really helpful uh, to people now because they got me through because there was no like manual to uh, your stomach explodes. You wait three to six months and then they do this. Or, no, it was all surgeons saying, okay, go home and heal and uh, keep coming back for checkups and we'll see how things go. And then we had to find a surgeon who actually could figure out how to create some kind of surgical plan. So this was all kind of creativity and trial and error. So there were no guarantees. On a side note, that's why when I was run over by a car three years ago and I broke my legs, and I was healing, like the, I was, the nurses were like, wow, you're such a good sport about this. I'm like, no, it's so cool. Like I just do like one, two and three, get this surgery. And then like my leg heals, like I've never had a surgery like that where there's like, these are steps you go through. And it's like, the nurses thought it was crazy. but. <laughs> Uh, and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? They clearly had not read your book. They had no clue about you and had not seen what you had gone through. And that yep. is, yeah, you, you hear that again and again by survivors, survivors who have gone through through really, really bad things. And if then yeah. something bad happens that would derail most others around them, they start laughing. It's like, is that all? <laughs> yeah, your car exploded. Ah, that's good. Oh, that's brilliant. It's cool. Let's get a new one. And what? What? <laughs> so you're a bit like that, even though there's there's probably not so much that can shock you nowadays. Um, but it what amazed me throughout your journey reading about it is that you were initially you you hit yourself you were you were essentially in your room and it was hard to get you out it was have, yeah absolutely mm -hmm. that was the initial you but then you became like you metamorphed you, the metamorphosis happened and out of the, the caterpillar came the butterfly and you said now from now on i will fight from that the tenacity came through and you actually thought well fuck that 
I actually want to do auditions. And there you were actually having this bag there uh, for everyone to see. And you went out to actually be creative and be, be on stage. Tell us about that. Well, a month after I got discharged from the ICU, you know, I was home feeling, you know, it's one thing being really, really sick uh -huh. and not being able to eat or drink and like you're in like the hospital in like your sick nest. But then when you're in the real world, it's, I was like, what, what am I, what do I do? You know, I was also living in a home with a kitchen and like a running sink. And so I saw that a local theater was having auditions for musical Oliver. And, you know, keep in mind, I was just learning to walk again. I was, you know, jaundiced from the Ivy nutrition. I, you know, couldn't eat or drink, but I convinced my parents to let me audition, figuring it was like, you know, good to be in an ensemble or part of the cast. And thinking back on it, like that took a lot of guts to... <laughs> <laughs> go out in like the real world audition but i took a I, lot of guts you had to say it it took a lot of guts <laughs> yeah, okay and um i came up thinking like wow like that was really good and so i was definitely surprised when they offered me the lead in oliver so i was nancy but that really saved my life because they got me through the first few months of being at home, that transition. Because I got to, you know, I couldn't eat or drink, but you know what? I was doing what I loved, and it just reminded me of the person deep in there, you know? How beautiful. So, How beautiful. Yeah. And it just shows that life-saving things can be so diverse, can be so, so... thing. I, what what stuns me that you had been chosen that uh because any any kind of theater director needs to to consider shit will my cast be stable or will i have a great one night stand uh literally and then then my lead is falling over and so i didn't have shingles and was in the hospital on opening night but i still got there <laughs> oh dear it just shows because your immune system would have been shot to pieces. So all that, but that is survival. That is survival. And and you're going out there. You you against all odds. You want to live your life. And that I think tenacity is really you in a nutshell. You are a survivor, and you have grown. You have grown. Oh, at some stage, you had enough of the victim role. And I think you becoming, yeah, you doing that audition, that was sort of part, a big part of this change. And it was yeah. so beautiful. Do you, we're actually lucky because at some stage you actually found a surgeon, you found a surgical team who were saying, okay, we have got a really stuffed up puzzle going on in her gut. But let's actually see, they did all the tests what they to see what is actually working, where and how. And then we're actually able to do, to make a miracle come true, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Here we are. I saw you there leisurely sipping away on your tea, something that was impossible 
for so many years. How many oh. years was it actually until you could take your first sip that was oh, well, not coming out of your neck? Yeah, well, for that, three years, but the eating took almost seven years. Right, wow. That's a hell of a long, long time. Yeah. Um, but but here you are. So nowadays, um, you are you're still a very very slim girl, um, but you were always a dancer. You were always full of energy. It's a little difficult because, you know, I only um, absorb about twenty percent of what I eat. Indeed. So, yeah. do you still get top ups? Do you still have got uh, intravenous nutrition? Or is it all now natural? Oh, you just have to eat 8,000 calories a day. Uh, exactly, because you know only some of it will uh, will actually get absorbed. Right. Uh, oh, my God. So people who don't know you <laughs> see you out in a restaurant and you're ordering five mains, <laughs> they are thinking, what the hell? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't eat five mains. Oh, believe me, because I also don't, because I don't have a stomach, I don't have hunger cues, so I'll just kind of keep eating till like my plate's clean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, good on you, good on you. Uh, then I'm like, sometimes I get sick, and I'm like, oh wow, how did that happen? But um, but yeah. <laughs> and it is what it is. You are adapting to a new norm for yourself, and that is what many survivors need to learn. It yeah. is it is so hard if you if you constantly look back and say, My God, I I want to be that person I when I was 17. I want to be that person just before the trauma. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that you can do as a survivor, that you keep stuck in that rut, that you that you yeah. demand to be that old person. And that never go back exactly as they were before you know uh, and it's it's impossible it, you're you're it's it's adapt or die in nature and it's the same for us as survivors and however the trauma looks like however you whatever it does to you physically and mentally it is the need to adapt and this is such a powerful thing now Tell us, uh, what was the support like uh, that you received? Was there psychology? Was there uh, were there uh, therapists that were either assigned to you, or that you ultimately uh, found yourself and paid for yourself? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the first thing that I did when I was discharged from the hospital, was, you know, my parents took me to a therapist. But, you know, he went back and told my parents, you know, she can't eat, she can't drink. Like, I'm not going to make her sit in a room and talk about her feelings. You know, that would be torture. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm even blocked out of therapy right now. I mean, but, and I'm not saying that, like, I'm not again, believe me, I'm not against therapy, but it, I guess it just wasn't right at that time. But the good part was, it really made me look within myself and find the skills to um, resiliency that really um, I still carry now. Um, so I guess that was just how it turned out. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
yeah. But here you are, you, and like so many survivors and so many uh, people who have gone through hell, they come out the other end. And sooner or later, there is the question of, well, actually, you know, what is the sense of all that? And the sense that many of us find is that it is time to give back to share your story. And that's what you did in, in the beautiful detour in your book. But you didn't stop there, did you? Well, I didn't start there either because you know, as a performer, that's always been my way of connecting with the world, like theater on stage. Uh, and so 2012 was when I finally put all the event, events together in my life where I was really able to find, oh wow, this was a beautiful detour because I was forced to think of everything that happened in my life and put it into a theatrical arc, you know, tell a story where I had to really think for myself, like, what did I start with? What was like the climax? What was the rising action? And what is, what is the message? Like, what did I learn from this? And that's really um, when I started thinking of this as my beautiful detour, because then I realized, wow, if I didn't go through this, I, never would have met this person in my life. I never met <laughs> myself. And so I can't even tell you anymore, oh, if I if this had never happened to me, I would have been doing that and that. And, you know, this is what made me who I am. So, like, how could I want to take that back? So premiering my show, which I called, you know, Gutless and Grateful um, in 2012, which I've been touring ever since now in COVID live streaming it uh, through uh, Zoom. Um, that's really um, how I shared my story and how I realized that how my story could make an impact. So that was um, just um, very rewarding for me as a survivor to share a story and know that it could inspire others. So. <laughs> Which is beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. So here you are, uh, the, the, a truly born artist, a, a woman who uses art in multiple ways, in multiple yeah. versions to make sense of it. And yeah. I guess for me, the story, when I, when I discuss my trauma, every time I, I discuss certain aspects of it with my guest on a show or with someone in person, I reflect on that part. So there's actually a constant healing happening for me. Do you still perceive the same for you? That when you, when you, when you perform and you feel afterwards, do you feel that little bit stronger? Yeah, you know, for me, it's also that performer part of me that just loves, like, that's what I live for. That's what I've always lived for. And also, like, especially in times like this, like helping people that are struggling now, knowing I've been through something that I can share with them because I think it will help them. And it mm. seems that it does in all my presentations and workshops and stuff to know that that really um, makes uh, an impact. Mm. how beautiful is that isn't it it is and that's the reason that you're out there that's the reason that you tell your story um when you when the me too movement broke what three years ago um how did it affect you when did that what happened around that time 
It's interesting. Um, it was very interesting because obviously when this happened to me, um, it was not like that at all. Like, um, I was even afraid to talk about it mm. in my script for Gutless and Grateful. Um, and, um, yeah, especially with me being 17, um, you know, it was very different. Um, but then um, I got a little concerned because um, I was getting um, called up by uh, newspaper reporters asking, like, well, like, what is the typical barrier uh, to reporting? Like, how many years does it take? And I felt for other survivors, I was concerned that now there is too much pressure on survivors that, oh, you have to talk about it now. You have to tell your story. You have to say me too. Because for me, um, again, just speaking for me personally, I'm kind of grateful that I had 10 years on my own to just process for myself what was happening before I could share it. Because I don't think we should feel pressured to just talk about it right away if we're not ready. It should always be available to us, but we need that supportive environment. And, you know, ever since, you know, my time, you know, social media has blown up. You can post things before you even know you're conscious of posting them. So I got worried that people weren't taking the sacred time. They needed to really um, take care of themselves. Um, so you know, I think everyone needs to go at their own pace. That's so true, isn't it? Uh, it's, and you sometimes wonder why women have not spoken up. Um, and you think you've waited 20 years now to come out with this accusation. You know, come on, that can't be real. You're making that up. That kind of thinking, yet whilst in, in truth, it was such a painful event that women have basically, or and men, um, or, or any kind of other gender, um, have actually buried it so deep in the recesses of their brain. And it takes a lot of gut. It takes a lot of a lot of strength to duck to, to dig that back out, bring it out into the open, and actually publicly say something about it and literally follow down maybe a law enforcement route and actually get justice that way. I uh, it's lovely for you to say that and it's lovely for me to hear that because every journey is different. Whilst often enough we end up in the same place, regardless of our traumas, i.e. trying to numb ourselves with alcohol, drugs, food, uh, promiscuous behavior, whatever. Um, it is still, each journey is unique and there is no right timing. You know, there is no no time out, so to speak. Ah, you haven't spoken up in a year. Well, therefore it can't be true or rubbish. No, whatever your journey is, um, you, it is your journey. So all those survivors out there, all those people who have gone through a dark period in your life, it doesn't matter if that is 20 years ago, um, hopefully you will find the strength and you will find the, the circumstances in which, which allow you to explore those things. And maybe, just maybe, some of the pain in your life will go away when you deal with all the, these old things and suddenly you're able to move on. Certainly for me, there was a huge amount of resentment and anger by describing part of my life. And only when I was able 
to move on from that then my life really started where I could could show me show myself the love that I was lacking I guess so the self-love is so important and every journey is different so Amy here's yours which is constantly evolving so here you are the, 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 the caterpillar to butterfly but then there are many more metamorphoses actually happening in your life where you yeah. go from one strength to the other and you're not giving up and that is so beautiful that is so beautiful yeah. if you were able to send a message back in time to your younger self what would you send back before all this happened um yeah. again um because i've gotten to the point where i i wouldn't want to change anything um i would just say keep going um don't put anyone on a pedestal but mm. i tell myself that now Hmm. Understood. Understood. Oh, wow. Amy, I mean, you are, you have come full circle from victim to survivor to now a woman who is going out there and is changing lives herself. So you're actually, um, very active out there. Tell us a bit about your, your current activities and who is the new Amy? Who is the Amy 2021? The new Amy is doing a lot. Creativity <laughs> comes in all directions. Um, <laughs> wow. So um, I eventually got to college at 25. I'm now in grad school. I'm in two grad programs at once. I'm studying interdisciplinary arts, where I'm getting a chance to really um, combine all the beautiful, creative things I'm doing together yeah. um, to really work with um, trauma and healing. I'm very um, passionate about how we can use creativity as a way to transform trauma, as a way to get through anything. Um, I've given four TED Talks, and my fourth one was just this October about how um, creativity can help make a difference in you know, climate change activism and environmental justice, which is as someone who's always loved nature, um, it's a cause I'm really passionate about. And um, my first TED talk, I talked about being a detourist and I started the Love My Detour movement, which inspires people to um, embrace obstacles that happen in their lives um, you know, and, and thrive not in spite of them, but because of them. Um, and so that turned into a bunch of workshops and programming and presentations, which now I'm leading um, everywhere, um, which is really resonating with a lot of college students who have been touring a lot of colleges and organizations um, and um, really passionate about um, helping people uh, share their story. Um, so um, I guess that's been really my new calling. So it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Now because of COVID, I can do everything across the country. So I can come to you on Zoom. Just uh, send me a note and I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is beautiful, isn't it? We can we can connect in such a in such a beautiful way and can actually make changes happen and can make can 
can influence people, can put ourselves out there. And for that, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to you that you came onto my show to to share uh, your your beautiful detour and to share your passion and to actually look in your eyes and and see that sparkle, which you would think must have long gone out. And no, it is, guys, uh, just look at Amy and there is hope. Whatever you guys are going through, it might look overwhelming. It might feel soul destroying and you're hopeless as hell. Trust us. I have been in very dark places. Amy certainly has been in very dark places. And here we are, we're trying to go out there and show our stories so that mm -hmm. you see that there is hope, okay? Every trauma is different. This is not a pissing contest. Um, Amy wins hands down as far as all the trauma, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because we all suffer differently and your trauma might be not considered as big by any standard, but what standards should one use for trauma? It is the impact on you. It doesn't matter what it was, uh, physical, mental, emotional, whatever it was, here you are and you're suffering with the, the consequences. And what we are saying is whatever has happened to you, there are ways forward. And some of them are probably built up on acceptance. Some are built up on, on, on forgiving some for well in order to forgive you need to accept and you need to actually move forward yourself you need to learn to love yourself and that is often a very 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 hard hard journey but you have got the chance to do so guys there is whatever has happened to you try to talk to people around you in your bubble or even better create your own bubble in which you find people who have been in a similar situation and see how they moved on. Nowadays with different with different Zoom meetings, etc., you can actually find survivor groups of virtually everything. And it is so important uh, to to find a group where there are positive people who are sharing their plight and the way how they got better and how they help each other. Unfortunately, you find also groups where there's only, oh, poor me, poor me. And there is there's a lot of whinging and whining and complaining about everyone else, but taking action and, and, and starting with people themselves. So it's all a, a double-edged sword. But what Amy and I are saying, hey, there is hope. Do not give up under absolutely no circumstance. doesn't matter how often you were beaten down by life. Get back up. And one day you will stay up and one day you will look back and think, huh, okay, look how far I've come. And Amy, you're the, the classic example there. And for that, I'm so, so grateful that you were on my show. Mm -hmm. I know you're, I know there's time pressure on you, but if there is any, is there anything else you wanted to, to tell my mm -hmm. audience, if there's anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, listen, again, um, like I've said, now is a period of uncertainty. 
um, where, you know, life was one way, one day, and then it's changed. And, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta just be present right now because in this little moment, everything we have right now is good in this moment. I mean, that's how you just got to get through uncertainty from one moment uh, to the next. That's all. Indeed. And guys, if you wanted to learn more about Amy, uh, a damn good start is actually read her book uh, because then that's such an eye opener. But then there is there are also ways that you can actually work with her. You're doing workshops. You're doing uh, you're doing yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah, dot com. Uh, so indeed and have a look down there in the description of the video and of the podcast it is there so you just need to copy and paste and get in touch with Amy there is no excuse for you not to take action so if there's one thing that you can do is actually after this after after you finish this episode press the subscribe button and press like um, after you've done that uh, take action take action in your own life maybe buy amy's book maybe buy another book buy my book my steps to sobriety behind me which we're going to re-release re-release uh this month uh in version two so i give you i give you time out here wait wait a month and then you've got a new and improved version um and then use that as a starting point because in your own life decide where can you do something to make yourself better and draw on the strength of people such as Amy and their skills and their lessons and adapt them to your life. Amy, again, thank you so much. I wish you so much more energy and such so much more power so that your energy keeps rolling and touching more people and therefore helping other survivors make sense out of their life. That is really what this is all about. So thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye.